0: I was thinking this week uh, how awkward it can be to ride in an elevator. Does anybody else agree with me that it can just be awkward to ride in an uh, elevator? I mean, here in an elevator, you climb into a, uh, about a 60-square-foot little box, a, a little bit of room, and as soon as everybody walks into the elevator, everybody stops talking, right? Like, you may be talking until you get to the elevator, then you stop talking, and it gets really awkward. Nobody makes eye contact. Everybody's either looking up at the ceiling or looking at the, the, the buttons for all the different floors, and it's just, it's, it's awkward. And in the elevator, you want to maintain whatever few precious inches of personal space that you have. Hard to maintain your social distance in an elevator if you know what I'm talking about. In fact, I was thinking about the movie Elf. We love the movie Elf. How many of you love the movie Elf? It is a great Christmas classic movie. And in the movie Buddy the Elf, where he rides the elevator, and remember that businessman comes on the elevator with Buddy the Elf, and Buddy starts talking to him, and he takes all the all the buttons for all the floors, and he pushes all of them, and he's like, "Look, it's a Christmas tree," and and and, and Buddy's talking to him the whole time, and the businessman is just kind of sitting there the entire time, annoyed. It's like this is not this is not elevator etiquette. This is not the way it's supposed to go. See, maybe an elevator is a microcosm of our world in our day and age, where our world is rather large, yet impersonal. We have an impersonal society where we value anonymity, we value our isolation, we value our dependence. Those are the rule of our day. We want that independence, and we want to be on our own. In fact, many of us can find ourselves being surrounded by people. Being surrounded by people, but the closest sense of community doesn't come from those. It comes from what we find on Facebook, on social media. The honest truth and kind of the sad truth is we can, be, we can be surrounded by people. We can be a part of a club, of a company, of a church, of a team. Yet we can still feel like we don't belong. We can still feel like we don't feel accepted. And it is hard it is hard, but there's so much tremendous potential in community and in relationships and in us being known by one another. In fact, I would say that there is nothing greater. There's nothing greater than being a part of a wonderful community of godly relationships where you can be known and others can know you. In fact, there's a story about the famed college football coach, Bear Bryant. College fo- football coach, Bear Bryant, coached Alabama a long time ago, 60s and 70s. And uh, the story goes that Bear Bryant was mad at one of his uh, assistant coaches because the assistant coach was a part of creating a Fellowship of Christian Athletes uh, charter on campus. And a bunch of his uh, players joined this FCA club. Bear Bryant was frustrated by it. And that assistant coach who helped start that chapter ended up taking a a head coaching job at some other college. And, And Bear Bryant called him. He called him and he said, you know what? I just thought I should tell you, you know the worst thing to happen to our football program? It's that darn FCA, that Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Because now all these guys want to do is they want to do nothing but hugging each other and loving each other. Man, when we get on the field, no one's going to hit anybody. Well, after that season, which some would say was his best season ever, he called that assistant coach. He said, you know what the best thing to ever happen to our football program was? It's that darn FCA. Man, that fellowship of Christian athletes, it brought a oneness and a closeness. Our team became unified because of the Christian influence on our team. This January, we've been in a series that we're calling, It's All About Relationships. And it's a good and right conversation for us to have to realize that all of our life and all of our faith is all about relationships, with our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. So we're taking this month to have a number of conversations about how we can prioritize and grow in our relationship with God, as well as in our relationship with one another. We've talked about how we can grow a relationship with God. We've talked about part of that is not only us trying to know God, but allowing God to know us because there's a difference between the two. We talked about last week on how we can develop our relationship with one another and how we need a relationship with God really to redeem our relationship with Him so then we can have a relationship with others. But today, today we're going to see how us, how the church, that's us, we're going to look at how we reflect to the world what God intended in our relationships. We are the, the, the picture of what God, we are supposed to be the picture of what God intended for our interpersonal relationships. So our text this morning... We had a couple of passages of Scripture out of the book of Genesis. Genesis is a fantastic book. I love the book of Genesis, specifically in chapter 1. Because chapter 1, we get so caught up on are these literal days or not. Chapter 1 is all about, isn't about literal days. It's about whether or not God is a creator or not. And God is our creator. And I love that. So in Genesis chapter 1, we see that God does all this creation. He creates, uh, he separates the light from the dark. Uh, Day two, he creates the expanse or the atmosphere to separate the earth from the skies. Day three, God creates the dry ground and creates plants. On day four, God creates the sun and the moon and the stars. On day five, God creates uh, the birds and the sea animals. On day six, God creates the, the land animals. And then he comes to his most prized creation, his special creation. Ben read read that for us this morning. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every living creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, the image of God, he created man, male and female, he created them. See, what's key of that passage is that we as humans, as humanity, we are created in the image of God. There should not be any doubt in our mind that we are created in the image of God. What does it mean that we're created in the image of God? I think the key is to understand that God has always existed in community. We call this the Trinity, That God is one, but he has simultaneously existed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is why when we read that verse in verse 26, this is why God said, Let us make manner in our own image. After our likeness. He's trying to give us this idea that God the Trinity existed from the beginning of time. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they eternally live together in community from before the, the creation of the earth, from the very beginning of time. See, community, community and relationships, this is an idea, an idea that God thought of. He didn't decide, hey, maybe I should create these ideas of relationships. No, uh, community is what God has always existed in. Community is not an idea. Relationships are not an idea that God had. Community is what God has always existed in. So that love and that companionship that we long for, that completion, that sense of of, of of being known, that we long for as humans, this isn't the highest ideals of a man. No, this is something that God has put in us when He made us in His image. That we've existed, that, that God has existed eternally, and the very nature of who God is, it's all about relationship and how we and our ability to relate to one another. But since we are made in his image, that means that we are not made to live alone. In fact, I love as you look in the creation story, God says this was good and this was good. He says everything was good. You know the first thing that God says was not good? Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. Everything else has been good. Creation is good. The land animal is good. The, the, the stars is good. Verse 18, it's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. This is the design that God had for humanity, is that we would be in community. This is true whether you are an introvert, whether you are an extrovert, We are all created to be in community. We long to be known. We long to be loved. We long to find companionship and and, and being accepted. We long for accountability. This is something that God created deep within us. It's not this felt need that we all of a sudden feel like, oh, I, I have a need for relationships and to be known and for people to love me. No, God created us with this desire, with this inward desire to be known and to be in community. Now, I, I come to the point where I want to ask some questions. And here's a question that comes to my mind when I hear this. If we are created for community, if, we're, if God created us to have relationships, then why are relationships so stinking hard? Right? I mean, if we're created in this way, then why are relationships hard? And I'll tell you why. The answer is because something happened in Genesis chapter 3 when sin entered the world. In fact, we're going to see that, the first casualty of sin. Genesis chapter 3, if you know the text, you the serpent who's ruled by Satan. He comes and he tempts Eve and he causes Eve to doubt God's word. And here's Genesis 3 verse 6. It says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to her eyes, and desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and she ate. And she turned to her husband who was with her and gave to him and he ate. And here's the key, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths. See, Broken relationships were the first casualty of sin. Sin enters the world, and immediately you see this relationship between Adam and Eve broken. When sin enters the world, the the relationship between Adam and Eve changed completely. No longer did they recognize each other as they had before, before. I mean, certainly Adam knew, well, this is Eve, I know that. But he no longer knew her, or regarded her, or recognized her as what God created her to be, which was his helpmate. She became a threat to him. He became a threat to her. And you see Adam and Eve, what do they do? They hid themselves from one another. They sewed loan cloths to hide each other from one another. In fact, the relationship not just with Adam and Eve was broken, the relationship with God was broken as well. Because in the next couple verses, God speaks and says, Adam and Eve, where are you? And they hide themselves from God as well. You see, when sin entered the world, Our relationships changed forever. That closeness, that that oneness that God created that's supposed to be there in relationships, it was gone. That closeness and oneness was replaced by accusation and hostility. There was no longer this mutual submission and love between relationships. Now relationships change to be a ruler and a subject type of relationship. Maybe an oppressor and an oppressed type relationship. Now in those relationships, now there's manipulation and there's pride and there's selfishness and there's all these different things that rule these relationships that was not the way that God intended. And from that day forward, the community that we're created for, that we long for, that love, that acceptance, that companionship, what God designed us for, it's been broken by sin. And since that day, our relationships come with a certain amount of pain and difficulty and trial and hurt. And Satan has continued to attack that safety and that peace and that community that we long for. Satan's goal is to leave us hurting and longing and searching for that community in all the wrong places. Think about it. Think about how we search for that acceptance and that love and all those things in all the wrong places. Think about about kids who grew up with an unstable home life, who had an unstable parent, is it any surprise to us that that relationship with their parent has an effect on that child for, for years and years and years and years to come? Because that sense of peace, that sense of, of safety and community that was supposed to be in that child's life when they were young was broken from the very beginning. And so they've had this longing from once they were a child to have this love and acceptance of this community that hasn't been found and so that has impacts on these children for, gener- for years and years and years to come. Due to our deep desire for community, you notice how we look for community in all the wrong places? This is where Satan throws us some cheap fake. Some cheap fake that looks like it's going to make us feel loved. It looks like it's going to make us feel accepted. It looks like it's going to fulfill that longing of our heart. And we find it doesn't really do that. It just entraps us. In fact, I remember when I worked with the kids at Madison House, Again, we all have this longing for community. And those kids at Madison House, they found community in gangs. It wasn't a healthy community, but they found that community. They found love, acceptance, accountability. They were cared for. In fact, this is why some people stay in an abusive relationship. Because God warps their their mind to think, listen, I'm afraid of losing this love that I feel in this relationship, and so I'm afraid to leave. See, we can turn all sorts of things looking for community. We can turn to all sorts of things. Or when we don't turn to those things anymore, we begin to numb the pain of not having that love, that acceptance, that community. We numb it with all sorts of things, our self-righteousness, drugs, alcohol, pornography. They're all signs that there's this deep emptiness inside. We're not filling that, that relational component that God created us to have. So after, after Adam and Eve, after they brought sin into the world, after the relationship changed, after the relationship was broken, God comes onto the scene. And God says, simply, I can fix this. I can, can fix this broken relationship. In fact, the whole passage, the whole message of Scripture from Genesis to the very end is God says, I'm trying, to restore, I'm trying to restore what's been lost because of sin. And part of God's restoration process is restoring the community that God created us for, to restore that relationship. Listen, one of the things we have to hear today, every one of us, is if we're going to have a restored relationship, restored community the way that God intended, it starts with us restoring our relationship with God. That is key. That is key to this whole thing. That if we don't restore our relationship with God, if we aren't reconciled to God, there's no way that we can bond or or reconcile in any way with other people in the way that God designed. If we aren't first reconciled with God, we cannot completely reconcile with our relationships with the people around us. To restore our relationship with God is foundation. It is key. Because once we restore that relationship, then God can begin to restore the relationships around us. And then we get to the New Testament. And we get to the New Testament, where the church, the church, and I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about the organization. I'm talking about the collection of Christians, the people of God, us. We are the church. The church is supposed to be the picture to the community of what God intends for our relationships. Do you recognize that is what we are supposed to be? The picture of God's intention for relationships. That's why in scripture we're told that we as Christians, we gather together and supposed to be a family. We're supposed to love one another and serve one another and sacrifice for one another and support one another and encourage one another and confront one another and confess our sins to one another. This is what scripture tells us to do. This is what scripture says in the New Testament. This is what the church is supposed to do. In fact, I love the fact that Jesus goes so far to make this a point that we would grasp is Jesus said this, this. is He says, you want to know what proves your faith in me? You want to prove that you're a true disciple of Jesus? It's not having the right theology. It's not having moral obedience. It's whether you love one another, specifically the people of God. How we love one another is the true litmus test that we know whether or not we are actually a follower of Christ. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, this is maybe uh, the, the beautiful picture of what community should look like in the church. This is the ideal community that we should be striving for. Here's what Acts chapter 2 says. It says, they, the the, the Christians, the church, the people of God, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which means they devoted themselves to scripture, to the fellowship, which means our relationships, to breaking of bread, which means sharing meals with one another, and to the prayers. Verse 46, day by day, they, the Christians, the church, they attended the temple together, they went to church together, And then they broke bread together in their homes, receiving food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. This is a picture of what God does with the church, with the people of God. He brings these people together who are different, who come from different backgrounds. And they live a life together, loving one another, in each other's homes, studying scripture together, having meals together, holding each other accountable, supporting and encouraging one another. And, I, and this may be one of my favorite little, little snippets of scripture. Because we read that the church did this. They, devo- they, they devoted themselves to these things. And then in verse 7, look what he says. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That is a result of the church being who God called them to be. The result of the Christians, you know the result of the Christians getting our community right? You know what happens when the church gets community right? When we love one another in this way, the, Lord's add, the Lord adds to their number day by day. See, there is, there is no greater testimony about the greatness of God than when we, when, when we as Christians get community right WHEN THE WORLD LOOKS AT US AS A CHURCH, LOOKS AT THE PEOPLE OF GOD AND SEES US, PEOPLE FROM DIFFERENT NATIONALITIES, PEOPLE FROM DIFFERENT LIFE EXPERIENCES, PEOPLE FROM DIFFERENT ECONOMIC BACKGROUNDS, WHEN THE WORLD LOOKS AT US AND SEES US LIVING OUT OF A CONCERN FOR ONE ANOTHER, LOVING ONE ANOTHER, DESPITE OUR DIFFERENCES, SUPPORTING ONE ANOTHER, MODELING OUR KING JESUS, WHO DID NOTHING OUT OF SELFISH AMBITION, or conceit, but out of humility considered others more significant than themselves. When the world looks at us living out that way, they look and they wonder and they say, man, who are these people? Who are these people? How do they have a community like this? How do they make their relationships work like this? How do they make their marriages work like this? I want some of that. I want the God who redeems relationships and restores relationships. And people long for a relationship with God because of what they see from us as a people of God. See, here's here's the whole idea. We are created for community. Every one of us have this deep longing to find a place that we are loved, that we are accepted, that we can have a relationship with one another. Obviously, we recognize sin has broken those relationships that God created and made things difficult, and God has been in the process of trying to restore and redeem, and here we are, 2021, Restoration Church, the church, we are to reflect God's redemption of relationships. We are to reflect that God is restoring relationships and he starts with us right here and how we interact and how we live with one another. I wanted to have a conversation today about relationships and about community because today is what we call our annual celebration, the opportunity for us to to look back at what God has done and look forward to where we see God leading us in the next season of life in our church. And I'll be honest, I love, I love what God has accomplished in our church. We are almost eight years old. We're not a perfect church. We're not a perfect church. If you've been around very long, you realize we are not a perfect church. But I love who we are. I love the DNA that God has given us. I love the people that God has brought to be a part of Restoration Church. I love what God has accomplished through us over these seven and a half years. I love that we're a church that is committed to the Bible. We're Bible people. Part of the reason I say we're Bible people is because I'm just not that smart. I'm not that interesting. If you're looking for me to tell you how to live your life, I don't have that much wisdom. That's why we open up the scriptures and say, God, would you speak to us? And we say, God, would you teach us? Not me and my opinions. I love, I love our worship. I love our worship team. I love, I love the team and how they just lead us into a spot where we can surrender and worship God. I love as a church, I love how committed we are to the mission of God. I think we're a church who loves and serves our community well. When I mean, you think about what we've done over the past seven and a half years, we've done so many different things. We've done the community garden We've done a, a Christmas outreach. We, we served at Martin Luther King Elementary for a couple of years. We're, we've engaged at Love, Inc. We do a, our Sunday of service. And beyond our community, we've done mission trip to, to Mexico. We've, we've supported church planners all across the United States through Acts 29 Church Plenty Network. I love that we are a church who is committed to make Christ known both in our city and throughout the world. I love... I love that we value diversity. I'd love to see us continue to grow in racial diversity. But I love the diversity that we've, we've, we've accomplished here at Restoration Church. where It doesn't matter, doesn't matter who walks in the door. It doesn't matter what background they came from. Whether they, they live on the big hill or whether they live in the gutter. People walk in, they're going to be welcomed and loved. And I love... I love seeing you. I love seeing our church, which is you. I love seeing you walk alongside people who came into our church wounded and hurt and struggling. And I love that we've been able to help those people find love and acceptance and support. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I I I love it. I love that we are a welcoming church. See, one of the privileges I get As pastors, I love meeting with people who come and visit our church. And I love hearing, hey, hey, tell me, how did you feel? What was the first impression? And I love hearing, without a doubt, people always say to me, such a welcoming church. People greeted me, made me feel extremely welcome. I love hearing that. But here's what I think. If our world is longing for community... For love, acceptance, companionship. And then we as a church, we are to be the expression of those redeemed relationships that God has designed for us. We're to look like Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. and let me ask you this: how are we doing in that? How are we doing in those relationships with one another? There is so much going on in our church, so much that we can be proud of, and I am, but I wonder, I wonder, have we, as a church, have we settled on being a missional church and a welcoming church without taking the strides necessary to become a relational church? When you look at our body right here, do we look like Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47? In fact, let me ask you some questions. And you can evaluate, don't evaluate somebody else, evaluate yourself. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you had someone from the church into your home? What about the time before that? Is that a regular habit in your life? Or is that something that happens once in a blue moon? Do you have someone in the church that you would call when The crap hits the fan at 2 a.m. in the morning. Things are going south. You need someone to talk to. Is there someone in the church that you would actually call and say, hey, I'm struggling right now. Can I have a conversation with you? Can you help me out? Would somebody view you as that person? Would someone call you at 2 a.m. in the morning because things were difficult? Are you intentionally pursuing deep friendships with people in the church not just casual acquaintances. When's the last time that you confessed your sin or confessed, shared that you had a personal struggle with someone in the church? See, this rocked my world a couple weeks ago when we asked that question. Sure, we can know God, but the question that rocked my world was, was God, does God know me? Because again, we're really good at, knowing God, but we like to keep God at an arm's distance. Okay, God, you're going to stay right. You're not going to come into these areas of my life that I don't want you to come in and see. So I'm going to hold on to this area, my finances, my sexuality, whatever it happens to be. You can't have that. And I'll keep you at an arm's distance. Listen, how many of us in church are keeping people at an arm's distance? I don't want you to get too close to me. I don't want you to get too close. It's, it's safer. It's safer for me to let, just have this surface relationship rather than letting you know me deeply and know maybe, maybe I've got some struggles. Maybe I've got some flaws. It's easier to keep you at a distance that so you don't have to come in. So that is not what God has called us to. That is not the picture of the restored relationships that God is asking us to be. That is not the picture of these redeemed relationships. i to be clear: this is not an indictment on everybody in this in our church. There are some who do this really well, but I'm just, from a pastor's perspective. If I'm being honest, I see I see people come into these doors and come in and be a part of the church. They don't need casual acquaintances; they need friendships. They need relationships. Now, I know, I know we hear the message like this and we're like, oh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta deepen my friendships. I gotta go deeper. I get this, I get this. Sure, Pastor Kevin, I get it. Listen, I know there's lots of excuses. In fact, when I think about my need to, to help deepen relationships in our church, I have excuses as well. And I wrote down some of our excuses because excuses are like armpits, everybody has them and they all stink, okay? One excuse, I don't have the time. I don't have the time. Nobody does. No one has the time. We're all busy. But here's the thing, remember what Jesus said, prove that you were his disciple. It's not you going to church on Sunday morning. It's not how you raise your hand and worship. It's not how you obey all the religious rules. It's how you love the body of Christ specifically. It's not how successful you are at work or your home. It's not how successful your home life is. The proof of your faith is how you love other Christians. Listen, if you don't have the time to invest in these relationships, it's because you've made a choice to allow something else to be more important than what Jesus says is significant. So if you don't have the time, my, my, my question to you is, maybe you need to change some of your priorities. Another excuse, well, you know, the church, the people at the church, maybe they're a little different than me. They're not my type of people. It's true. There's some weird people in church. Just like me and most of you, we're all a little bit weird in our own sense. But you know, when I look at the scriptures, nowhere do I see the the church supposed to look like a country club where everybody looks alike, everybody acts the same, everybody does the same things. In fact, one of the things about redeemed relationships, this is what the gospel does. It brings people together who are different, brings people together who have different backgrounds. I mean, how, how great is this? Think about how great this is. Like, you've got, you've got a sane, intelligent, dog-loving pastor Who works with a man who wears a cat sweatshirt. But if God can make that work, certainly God can make some of our own idiosyncrasies work. This is where in the church, this is where in the church, like God can bring a Democrat and a Republican together to have a relationship and to be friends and have a deep friendship. God can bring people from different nationalities, from different economic backgrounds, because it's not about our differences. It's about what we have in common, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ, which is we're all sinners dependent on God and God alone. Another excuse man, it's hard to do relationships. It takes time, it takes effort, they don't happen naturally. Or maybe this one, maybe you've been there. Well, I've tried to pursue those relationships, I've tried to do that community thing, and I got hurt. I got burned. Listen, I've been there. I've been there. I know exactly what it feels like. It is painful. And if I'm going to be honest to you right now, chances are you're going to get hurt again. Because there's no perfect community on this side of heaven. There just is no perfect community. But what we do have, while we don't have a perfect community, we do have the perfect love of God. God. And scripture says that perfect love casts out fear. Which means if I'm going to, I'm going to receive that perfect love of God, that I don't have to be afraid to put myself out there, to, 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 to make myself known, to pursue those relationships, even though I've been hurt in the past. This is where I'm going to trust God and I'm going to lean in. Because I tell you what, I tell you what, it's worth it. It is worth it. You could be missing out of what God wants to do in you and through you. Lean in. Another excuse, another excuse is maybe you're just relationally full. In fact, there's a book uh, called Sticky Church. Uh, great book. I highly recommend it. And I remember one of the things I said is, is, think about this. Think about your relationships are kind of like a, like a, like a, a bus, you only have, maybe you call it a suburban, maybe a bus is too big. You only have a certain number of seats in your relational component because you can only know a certain number of people at that level. So some of you are saying, well, my suburban's full. I've got, my, my, my family is close. We're really close to my family. I've got some friends that I'm really close to. And, and so I don't have those deep relational needs in the church like other people do. That's awesome. I'm really thankful that you have your your relational needs met. But can I also tell you that there are people here sitting next to you. There are people here longing to be known. Longing for that love, that acceptance, that accountability, that support. They're longing for those things. And if they're not going to find it in the place that God gave us as should be the picture of those relationships, where will they turn? So maybe maybe could I ask you, if you're one of those people that says, "Well, my relational car is full." Could you consider opening yourself up a little bit? Could you consider expanding your relational wagon, moving onto that bus? inviting some other people into your life. See, I love that picture of Acts chapter 2. When the church commits to pursuing deep relationship, it says that God draws people to himself. And that's what I want to see this year. I want to see us as a church pursuing deep relationships with one another. And we're going to, as a church, we're going to try and create some opportunities to do just that, to, to create some of those deep relationships amongst us, amongst the people of God. And here's what I'm asking you today. Everybody listening, everybody here today, whether you have been a part of Restoration Church for eight years or whether you are visiting here today, here's what I'm asking. I'm asking, would you jump in with us? Would you jump in with us? Would you pursue some deep relationships with the people of Restoration Church. Invite some new people into your life. If you're a new person here, maybe you've been hanging around keeping people at arm's distance, would you put your arm down and jump in full feet to be known and be known by others? Let me a little bit even more specific. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to live out the Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47 model. To commit together. To commit to the study of scripture together. To the fellowship with one another. To having meals with one another. And to prayers. So here's what I'm specifically asking you to do. I'm going to specifically ask everybody listening. Would you invite someone into your home for a meal? Maybe for you, maybe it works better where you're just, hey, you guys want to go grab lunch after church? That's a great thing to do. There's great tacos across the street. Invite someone for a meal. Talk about life, talk about faith, talk about their story. In fact, would you do that this February? Would every one of us make a commitment to have someone over into our home to have a meal with them? Listen, I know some of us are saying, well, COVID, COVID, COVID. Listen, COVID guidelines do not prevent us from allowing people into our home. They don't. I'm at the point that I've chosen to stop allowing COVID to be an excuse for not letting ministry happen. Ministry can still happen in a safe way. Invite someone into your home have a meal with them. In fact, we printed a a stack of these. There are these conversation cards, a stack of these that I encourage you to pick up. Always the question is, well, if I have someone over, what am I supposed to talk about? It's weird. Hey, let me help you. Here's some conversation starters. You pull out these cards. Some of these questions are funny, like, what's your best scar story? I got one I'd love to tell you about. It's right here in my arm. Some of them are going to be a little bit more serious, like, I don't know, I can't find a serious one. I only find funny ones. Happens to be, would you rather live in the beach or the mountains? Great, great questions. Conversations that get conversation going. Invite someone into your home. Have some conversation with them. Get to know them. Ask about their life, their story, how they came to Restoration Church, how they came to know God. Begin those relationships and guess what? When you do it in February, do it again in March and again in April. Listen, if you are here and you're like, well, I don't, I don't really know anybody. I don't really know anybody. Hey, listen, take the initiative. Be bold. Trust that God will go with you and invite someone. Say, hey, I don't know you. My name's Kevin. I'd love to... Would you want to have dinner with, our, with us? Would you love to have a meal with us? Have you been around longer? Have you been around restoration for a longer period of time? Would you take that initiative? Don't invite your best friend over. Invite someone maybe that you don't know. Maybe someone you only know on the surface level. Get to know them and see what God does. When you find someone in the church that you admire, someone that you respect, someone that you look up to, ask them to, to mentor you. Ask them to, to read a book with you. Invite them for coffee and, and ask them how they succeed in growing in their faith, how they've become who they are. In fact, let me go here. You older folks, you older folks, a little bit older than me, maybe a lot older than me, I don't know, whatever it happens to be. Listen, you are an incredible resource that God has given to our church. And I'm pretty sure that Scripture talks about the older folks reaching out to the younger folks to mentor them, to teach them, to train them. And what an opportunity for you as an older folk to find a younger couple and say, hey, you know what? We'd love to just spend some time with you on a regular basis. We'd love to tell you, man, this is how we have survived in marriage for 50 years or 30 years or 20 years or 10 years. Here's what we've learned along the way. Here's how we've raised our kids. Here's how we've navigated these different things. Use your life experience to pour into the people around you. There are younger couples that would love to have your influence. And if you're my age or you're in that age, listen, there are young people. There are newlyweds. There are singles. There are teenagers who would love to have you just invest in their life. And in fact, I think about me growing up in my teenage years. I had some of these men. I had some men who took an interest in me and said, hey, would you come with me? Let's just talk about life. Let's go climb a rock together and let's talk about life. And these men play such a tremendous impact. That's what it looks like as the church. That we disciple one another in that way. We spend time with them. Pursue that relationship and see how God begins to redeem and restore. When you see someone new coming to the church, seek him out. Seek him out. See, think we always have this idea well, somebody else is going to do it. Somebody else will do it. I think the problem is, you ever hear that quote? of the people do 80% of the work. I'd say relationally, I think that statistic is wrong. I'd say even less than that. Maybe 10% of the people do 90% of the relational work. I'm asking every one of us this year, let's deepen our relationships. Let's deepen our friendships. And let's see what God does as we continue to strive to be what God has called us to be a church that is committed to to one another, to love one another, to accept one another, to live life with one another. Let's pray.